we already talked about how many pants are being worn in this room. Like, yeah, it's a lot fine. of pants. All the pants. <laughs> They're all soft, too. Uh, that's true. Yeah, but we are big, big on soft pants. Thank you, pandemic, for that. Hey, ghosties, this is Sarai. I wanted to give you a little bit of an introduction to this episode. It is, in fact, the second episode we ever recorded and happened on the very same day that Lindsay and I met each other. Meg has always been kind of the common thread, but as you know, the Bible always says that a cord of three cannot be easily broken. And here we are braiding ourselves together with our testimonies about how we grew up, what our lives were like, what we did, how we believed, what it felt like, and then what led us on our path to deconstruction and or, in my case, I like to think of it as reconstruction of who I am and my own power and all of that good stuff. But this is going to be a fun one. There is a little bit of audio slight weirdness because you'll hear a buzzing at the beginning, but eventually it'll go away. So if that drives you crazy, I don't know, skip ahead like 30 seconds a few times and see what happens. Good luck. I love you. Welcome to Holy Ghosting, a podcast by three moms who fell from grace. I'm Lindsay, and I currently attend an Episcopal church in Portland, Oregon with a giant rainbow flag on the side. I'm Meg, and I'm not sure yet. We'll get there. I'm Sarai, and I live in a rainbow and am a rainbow in the world, and that's my cosmology. (laughs) Love it. So... Today, we're going to tell you a little bit about who we are and our religious journeys, where we're at now and where we have come from. And let me tell you, hold on to your butts, because we (laughs) all came from pretty conservative evangelical stock. Like, we have a lot in common in our childhoods, the good and the bad and the ugly, and we're going to get into it right now. So I'm going to start and tell you about my upbringing. I am an evangelical pastor's daughter. I love a PK. <laughs> I mean, my, so my dad has been a pastor right. yeah, <laughs> my entire life. He's a youth pastor I first. wished I was a PK. Oh, I'm too. so jealous. <laughs> I wanted it. I wanted it bad. Um, well, believe me when I say <laughs> it's probably okay that you're not. I think you're right. Dodged um, a bullet. <laughs> I do love my parents, but man, being, being in that environment and having that kind of judgment on you. Whew, it's a fun time. So I was homeschooled up until the ninth grade. In which point I transferred into Christian high school where I thrived. I was a social butterfly, homecoming court, class president, you name it, overachiever over here. Um, And I knew that I was going to go to Southern California. I was going to go to a Christian college. And then I was going to work in the music industry because somewhere in there I discovered Christian music. How old were you when you knew this was going to be your destiny? Probably 16. There was a real brief stint where I thought I was going to be an astronomer. Cool. And then I was like, I like people and (laughs) not science all that much. I mean, I was like a straight A student, so I did fine in science. But I was like, do you want to be in a room looking through a telescope by yourself for the rest of your life? Um, Or do you want to be in Southern California playing rock and roll? Mm, The first one sounds like a dream job for me. And I was, so I was in a band with my middle sister in high school and two guys. We were called Agnes United. Agnes is Lamb, like Agnes Day, Lamb of God. So we were Lambs United. I was a lead singer. I wanted to be Gwen Stefani. I was going to say, was this pre or post? No doubt. 
um, right around when she was starting to come into prominence. It's funny because I always thought she was a little too mainstream because I was more punk rock, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, too pop. MXPX like truly changed my life, like hearing them because I was allowed to listen to them. And so they sort of opened up a door of like what I was going to do with my life. And wow. Yeah. So I moved to Southern California. Good and for went, you. Heard God's calling. At I such sure a young did. Age, didn't you? <laughs> sure did. Although it's funny because I, I broke up the band to move to college, but I wasn't, mm-hmm. I didn't have dreams of being a rock star. I wanted to work with rock stars. That's cool. That's clarity. Uh, yeah. No, I, I wanted to like, I don't know. You were going to manage them. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. I like being in charge. Uh, <laughs> She's not shy about it. No, I'm not. That's what we love about you. We already talked about how many pants are being worn in this room. Like, yeah, it's a lot of pants. All the pants. <laughs> They're all soft, too. Uh, that's true. Yeah, but we are big, big on soft pants. Thank you, pandemic, for that. So I moved to Southern California. I went to the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. And that's Biola. That sure is. Okay. That's what it stands for. Wow. I, you oh. tried to skate that one past us. Yeah, yeah. I went to Biola University. Wow. Which is, wow. Yeah. You were one of the really good Christian girls. Well, and I got like a real deal scholarship because they gave pastor kids scholarships and like smart <gasps> okay. kids scholarships. You know what? So, no, yeah. boo. Oh my God. Yeah. Favoritism, nepotism. Yeah. Come on. I got all those things. I'll take all the tisms. <laughs> <laughs> but you still have school debt. No, I don't. Oh. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah thanks. <laughs> Good on you. I do. Oh, well, you should have been a PK. <laughs> I know. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> we did. There's what little benefits we had. There we go. Um, you had to be the most pure lamb right. of God, obviously, your well, band. Yeah, it didn't matter that. if you were a PK that was like, I don't know. No, you had to be having pure. sex and doing pure. drugs. <gasps> oh my God. Oh my, my ears. Lord. <laughs> my freaking ears. Oh my freaking ears. So I went to the Bible Institute of Los Angeles and let me tell you, I was not having sex there. <laughs> I really, so I was, was a dry campus. I was to Boys that weren't actually, there was oh, a lot oh, of rules oh. about boys being in your room. The doors had to be open. And it was oh. only during certain visiting hours, like twice a week. <laughs> It was oh, really, wow. it was very strict. Okay. This was prison you went to? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm confused. Really expensive prison. Um, <laughs> for free or something. The yeah. government doesn't pay for <laughs> yeah. that? Yes. Okay. But I, I graduated from Biola with a degree in public relations. Congratulations. Um, on good not times. being a dropout. Yeah, I, I finished. I'm a dropout, so I can say that. <laughs> I, there were some missions trips in there. I know I can't have been on missions trips to Mexico, Uganda, Croatia, and Turkey. Okay. Um, I don't think I've ever saved anyone, and I'm very fine with that. Um, You've never led someone in the sinner's prayer? Sure haven't. Lindsay. Um. Lindsay. <laughs> Lindsay, a pastor's kid. I know. I know. It Can just I wasn't get a little personal. Did you speak in tongues? No. Fun story. Wow. Fun story. Wow. So you are shattering my worldview of PKs right now. Really? Yeah. Well, it also depends on like, that's only a very charismatic Christian thing to do. We were decidedly non-denominational. Oh, okay. So I will say <laughs> my mother did speak in tongues. My father did not like she had a charismatic bent, but we never actually attended charismatic churches. She would go and visit other charismatic churches. Oh, did you go to revivals? I went to a youth conference when I was in junior high with a charismatic church. And I remember this, this will tell you what you need to know about me. I need to went know to this, where this was. Cause we might have been. In oh, the this same was room. in Cody, Wyoming. Oh, nice. <laughs> was like in Anaheim. I mean, we went to different city. We might've gone to like Billings, Montana. Cause I was oh. in a big city. Um, I forgot you weren't in California. No, I lived in a lot of weird places. Darn it. Um, and 
I remember at the conference, they asked, we were all sitting and it was like junior hires, lots of them, you know. So smelly. And yeah, there's worship set. And then they asked everybody who won the gift of tongues to stand up. And I did not stand <gasps> up. Mm-hmm. And you I didn't swear, receive I swear gift? I was the only one in the room. Wow. This is so my logical mind. I was just like, I have other gifts. I don't, this is not one that I want. Like, it was just like, this is not for me. Really? I don't need it. And it was just like, I remember being like, You no. didn't want to win the prize? It didn't feel That's like shocking I had, to me. I had seen my mom do it and frankly thought I was weird. So Wow. Honestly, I think it's a really practical thing to just be like, how many gifts can I even fit in this one life? You right? know, I, I don't, don't need, need this one. I'll pass. Wow. Don't need it. I would have liked it. Am if I it the did. lone wolf over here? Well, I I never have spoken in tongues and I only was around it a little bit. And did I'll you have, ever sing the Carmen song where he fake speaks in tongues? I don't remember it. You know what? I should have bought such a Carmen Come on. stand that, yeah. I really I have... thought she was going to say, you know what? Fuck that guy. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, really never. Was going there. Say I that. wished he was my dad, okay? Carmen, <gasps> if you're out there in heaven. Oh, God. I'm yeah. sure he's still alive. He's literally dead. <gasps> you know what? Here's the thing. One night I walked into my bedroom and my partner Isaac was watching a revival in the land video. What? And I was like, "What are you doing? What? Did Carmen die?" And he's like, "Yes, Carmen died." Oh my! I do vaguely remember word. this. Yeah. My sister, like my middle sister, is much more on the Carmen train than I was. I always thought he was kind of hokey. Oh, I know he was wonderfully wow. hokey. I mean, he oh, was yeah. real hell focused. He was. Yeah. He loved this the was devil. My I mean, he didn't love the devil, but yeah. he loved talking about that. You guys. Yeah. This is a real side story, but one day we will talk about Action House. And when we do, I will tell you how I played Satan in the live reenactment of Carmen's The Champion. I apologize to any listeners who didn't listen to Carmen because you have been lost for a couple minutes. But he was was like the bastion of... Christian music. He was kind of this dreamy Italian looking guy. Mm, he, he didn't have a last name. Self-described Guido. He did say that in one of his. Oh, all right. Well, there you go. True story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he just like had this deep booming voice oh. and he was always talking about the devil. And yeah, it was. And he was going after he was the theatrical devil. too. Yeah. It was the spiritual a lot of warfare that this mm-hmm. man was doing. Oh, he was a real warrior, but he also did. This is the the real clincher for us and my very much working class family as a child. He also did free concerts oh, in just huge that's venues. Right. Wow. That's right. So yeah. he would yep. go yep. to like the Coliseum. So I grew up in Eugene and we'd drive up to Portland and I'd make a little sign that was like Carmen or bust. Wow. And then we would go to the free concert and it was the best. And we were like, oh, my gosh. Sorry, I have oh, a lot. Amazing. You have a lot. Carmen okay. means a lot. Patreon to me. episode mm-hmm. on Carmen yeah. coming at you. I mean, basically, I gave yeah, I gave you my my Christian childhood. Basically, after college, I did go and get that music industry job. Yes, she did. And then I was like the only woman that worked for the record label that I worked for, and I was very underpaid and terribly treated, and I got super burnt out, and I moved to Portland, Oregon, and. Ended up voting for Obama and the rest is history. I mean, it was like uh, those those West Coast liberals, they'll get you. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's the most Portlandia story I've right. ever heard. It's all downhill from there. <laughs> I remember being, I'll never forget, I remember being with my now husband, I believe we were dating at the time in this tiny apartment on election night. 
We had voted for Obama naturally. And I remember just being surrounded. It was like people of color. It was like this adorable gay couple. And I just was like, and they're all just hugging and kissing and crying. And everyone's so happy when Obama got elected. And I was like, this, this is Portland. So I was like, I have, I have come to the right place. It felt, like it felt like just home. the thought of trying to celebrate like that election with like my Bible college buddies, <laughs> like back in California just felt like, and I'm sure some of them were happy about it, but I don't even know that we could like admit it to each other yeah. in that way. You know what I mean? Like, I still think most, I mean, my friends from Bible college days have all mostly fallen into similar camps that we're in mm, and transitioned but yeah. at that point it was much more like i think most of them were probably voting for obama secretly or doing mm. the, like the lesser of two evils card oh huh yeah 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 yeah. yeah i had a pretty quiet at home childhood my mom was home with my brother and i she had a a small daycare in the house so we got to be with her and then i started my christian school life in kindergarten. And my parents got divorced when I think I was in sixth or seventh grade. Honestly, I don't remember, but it was a, it was a great day. It was a really great day when my dad finally left and kind of like left us alone, I would say in a way where an abuser finally leaves and you go, Oh, that feels better. Yeah. My brother and I got really into our church and our youth group, and there were some some dads of some other kids that really took us into their families and really befriended us and kind of took on this role of a dad that we didn't ever really have before. And those men in our lives through the church, I think, really helped save us from probably like real hard lives, harsher lives. Um, And so I'm really grateful to my mom for that, for having that community around us and youth group, mission trips, church camps. I mean, we had like revivals and rallies and speaking in tongues and uh, there were banners and flags being waved during worship. And it was it was kind of at that height of charismatic life. Um, I never did drugs. I never tried drugs. I never drank. I didn't party. I was like graduated high school early and went to college at 16 because I wasn't being challenged academically in public high school. Um, but I lost my scholarship to public. I know I did. I did pretty epic for one and a half years. (laughs) (laughs) That's about how long I do it. (laughs) So I got out of school and went to more school and just kind of grew up. I was so ashamed of being 16 in college. I didn't tell anybody. It was one of the first lies that I chose where I really was like, this has a reason. That's not true. It's like the first one that shaped me, I guess I would say. I lied a bunch when I was a kid. (laughs) Um, But being something that I wasn't, but something that I knew I could be. And I was like, I can be a college student. I can do well. And I can be looked at as somebody who's 18 or 19. So Sure. When I left high school and was going into college, I also wanted to leave my home church that my family kind of, we went to together. Like I wanted to know that my faith was mine and it wasn't because of my family or because I was comfortable or because of my friends. And so I picked a church that I had to drive pretty far to. 
Um, but I really liked what they were about. So I worked very church adjacent jobs and went to YWAM at 19 and was married as a virgin at 20. My husband was 21 at the time. Um, and spoiler, we are still together. It'll be 22 years, <laughs> actually, <laughs> um, this year. He's our engineer and producer, A.P. Weber. Praise be to God. And the spiritual head of this podcast, yes. of course. That's right. That's <laughs> right. You, If you know him, you love him, or you really don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> I want to find those people because I'd really like to hear what they have to say, because that makes no sense to me at all. <laughs> he's, he's fun. We like him. Yeah, and... I think being young and married and having some experiences in the church, when we had an opportunity to move to Oregon as a young married couple, um, it just made sense for us. And so we left our families and moved up to Oregon and have not left (laughs) since. And yeah, surprisingly, both not the same people we were when we got married at 20 years old, um, but surprisingly still (laughs) together which I do find baffling. I don't know, you know, by the grace, by the grace of, of God, God. <laughs> mm-hmm. or goddess. Yes. Amen. <laughs> A woman. <laughs> well, okay. So I think it's really fun to hear your stories of growing up in the style of Christian, nice, good Christian girl you were. Um, I also grew up at church, but I used to tell people I grew up at church, not going to church or in church, but like at church because I was there so much of the time. Like there was a time in my life, probably around high school, maybe middle school, but especially high school where I would go to a work night, like Monday nights to build the church that they were building this different church and it's probably still being built today. Uh, and then on Tuesdays we have worship team. And then on Wednesdays we had youth group. And then on Thursdays we had Bible study. And then on Fridays, sometimes there'd be, you know, a thing for youth group or whatever I could find a way to do at the church. And then on Saturdays, my best friend and I in high school would look for weddings happening at our church and then go to them. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, and what, do you, you liked getting dressed up or we did it. Like, we didn't get dressed up. We would just be doing whatever else we were doing on a Saturday. Was it for the cake? It was for the ownership feeling of going to our church. We, like, we were just that into it. Wow. It yeah. truly felt like home to you. It it's like was where you wanted to be. home. That's where I grew up. It, it, it sounds like they used the building a lot, though. We Yeah, we really did. So and good I think for they them. still do. Yeah, so there, that was a thing. Um, I was born on a Monday. I'd be shocked if I found out from my parents that I wasn't in church the very first Sunday I was alive. Um, so I bet that's true. I remember very distinctly as a child sitting on this like hide-a-bed corduroy couch we had. It was rust orange and it had kind of thick whale. It wasn't like corduroy actually, but it felt like it. And I was running my fingers in this couch where like kind of the gutter of the corduroy was. And my mom and dad were with me and they asked if I wanted to ask Jesus into my heart. And I was like, yeah, totally. I was three. And, and as a three-year-old, I really remember just like, cause they would talk about like, Jesus will come in your heart and he'll clean your heart and he'll like make a home in your heart. 
and I literally pictured like a little room <laughs> with one window and like Jesus just gently sweeping it out and he has like a little simple twin bed I in like the corner and like a wash basin. I was like, wow. that sounds really cozy. Let's do this. This would be a good <laughs> home for him. Oh, yeah, 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 I think my heart is like a really nice a little, little simple home. setup. It was really sweet. So Jesus moved into my heart and just cleaned up shop. And I was obviously like a deeply entrenched sinner at that point. So I had a lot (laughs) to repent for. Three whole years. Mm -hmm. I had had a really hard three years. So you're Uh, already past the age of accountability. I was, I guess. I mean, it seemed like. (laughs) Do you know that term? I do. Like deeply morbid. Oh, it's not. I mean, I thought no one really agreed. You don't really know, but the guess is like seven, right? Okay, yeah. If Uh you die. Yeah. Pre seven, yes, automatic so entry weird into that heaven. People yeah. are aging this like I, that's well, so gross gotta, to me. We have to be specific when we're talking about salvation. Oh, I'm sorry, you were seven years and one day. Your <laughs> sin has sent you to hell. Tragically, well, that's you're why you got in with Satan. That's why you got to get him to invite Jesus into their heart at three. That's right. So you can't be too sure. You can't be too sure. Totally alive still, which is great. And one year after that, my first sibling was born. And I did almost immediately try to murder him. So I will acknowledge that I was still a sinner after mm. I was saved. Okay. So after that, <laughs> I did go to... You needed saving. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. We moved around a little bit. Um, fun fact, when I was five, we moved across the country from Eugene, Oregon to Virginia Beach, Virginia, so that my dad could go to what was then called CBN University, Christian <gasps> Broadcasting Network University. Oh, wow. In the Pat Robertson <gasps> realm of Things. Yeah, I so, would have been so jealous of young Sarai. Yeah, it was amazing. So wow. I'll tell you more about it. Yeah, and not if, right now. If people have not watched The Eyes of Tammy Faye, I highly recommend it. Ooh. If you were a Jim and Tammy Faye fan, that's or, the new one with Jessica. What's her name? Yes, Jessica uh-huh. Chastain. I've only seen the documentary. Also which amazing, delightful with the puppets. One. Yes, oh, loved it. It was cute. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was an exciting time in my young life. Uh, I went to a Christian school there for first grade. We came back over here uh, a couple of years later when my dad finished his master's degree. Uh, and then I went to public school for two years. Oh, so then I was homeschooled after that. And, and my this mom, is at third grade. It was fourth grade. Uh, I found out I was going to be homeschooled on the day first day of school. So I was supposed like getting dressed or something. And my mom's like, oh, you're homeschooled now. And I'm like, "Okay, what's that? And she's like, you just don't go to school anymore and we're going to do school here. Did you guys do school shopping? Like go clothes shopping prior to school starting? No. Uh, not when I was homeschooled. No. Well, that was my question. Was like, yeah. was there any red flags? I, I mean, I previously. was homeschooled like my whole life. So okay. just yeah. no. So, yeah. so, okay. So mm-hmm. I went to a school <laughs> where you had to wear clothes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we would go school clothes shopping and I just was wondering if Sarai had a tradition like this and if she was like weird we didn't go school clothes shopping this year <laughs> or was it truly just a your first day of school you, and had your mom planned this yeah that's a, I'm wondering that. and just no. didn't bother Can we tell call her? I have questions I don't yeah I have questions call her right now it's past her bedtime okay probably. So maybe um, next time. Yeah, those are all really good questions because we did go school shopping before. Like my grandma would take us. My mm-hmm. grams would take me because my siblings weren't in school yet because they were all young and adorable. <laughs> and yeah, by the time I was in fourth grade, I had my last sibling be born. So I have three of them that are all much, much younger than I am. Uh, so 
I did become homeschooled in fourth grade and grew up for the rest of my young schooling, listening to Rush Limbaugh every single morning. And the Rush Limbaugh theme song would actually wake me up at 9 a.m. on every single weekday morning. (laughs) Oof. Yeah. And I thought he was hilarious and I loved him. Now, did you choose to listen or was like your family was like, this was a thing you chose of your own volition to put on? No, 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 no. My mom would be getting, take a shower, dry her hair and listening to Rush Limbaugh on the bathroom radio very, very loud. And then she would make us a like full buttermilk pancake breakfast with like bacon and eggs and it was the best. And then uh, she would be listening to the kitchen radio very loud with Rush Limbaugh. So it was surround sound mm, Rush Limbaugh mm. throughout the whole house. And it was a very small house. So <laughs> it was just it was just the ambiance of our lives. And yeah, so I forgot was, you could get surround sound with radios. Yeah, you sure could. Yeah. If you wanted to enough, you could turn to multiple an radio, radio station and be like, <laughs> Rush Limbaugh, take me away. Yeah. My dad listened to him in the car all the time. That's what I remember. Like, Mm -hmm. and we drove a lot. I just, well, we like went on a motorhome trip for two months around the United States because we were homeschooled. Then you can do that. And so there was a lot of Rush Limbaugh on that motorhome trip. Yeah. I bet. And those were some good Rush Limbaugh years in there. Oh, I mean, the things I learned at a young age about like semen. Because of Monica Lewinsky. Oh, oh, I knew everything yeah. about Monica Lewinsky. I knew everything about her. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I, I get you. I feel you clearly on the Rush Limbaugh. But we, we can't have this conversation without saying Monica Lewinsky is a badass woman yeah. who I am obsessed with. Mm-hmm. She is a goddess. I am so impressed by this woman. Anyways, that's all I have to say about that. I'd like to second you and say she is the Absolute most funniest person on Twitter. Who's oh, ever oh, she's 100%. great on Twitter. It's true. She overcame a, a lot. lot of shit. And I am very, <laughs> very grateful that none of that happened in the age of social media. Because, man, right. can, you oh, ima- wow. can you imagine? Oh, it would have been no. so It, it was so awful. brutal. And it would have been. I can't even imagine. Yeah. I mean, she been. was the butt of every Every joke. joke yeah. Every news channel. Every comic. Every. Oh. Uh, so I was. Totally obsessed with summer camp. And I went every time I possibly could. I was so engaged with church as a young kid. I always felt like I had a really strong relationship with like a real connection with God and with the spiritual side of life. And I think music was my main connection to that. So I am a songwriter and a a singer and I played piano and I was really active in the church ministry as a kid, which is sort of amazing and weird and kind of uncomfortable for me to think about now. Uh, and certainly, uh, had me involved in some places that I would look at with a little bit of a side eye at the moment. But that said, I, I really enjoyed that. And I felt like I was called into the ministry in, um, capital T, capital M, the ministry many times and probably at camp one specific year, mostly, And my calling was to just go and be a rock star for God or something. So I wanted to also work in the Christian music industry, but (laughs) I wanted, I wanted to be your manager. I should have met you then. And then something could have happened and it would have been probably just as terrible as I imagined (laughs) it would be now. So (laughs) thankfully I didn't become the next Catherine Hudson, AKA Katy Perry. Shout out. What? (laughs) That's Um, right. She was church girl. Yeah. But I did go to a Christian college 
that had a teeny tiny adorable CCM program, Contemporary Christian Music, for oh, those of you, you who don't know all of these important acronyms. <laughs> and I did go there for that reason. Uh, and following your dreams, good for you. Me following my dreams. And that's the end of my story of growing up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, I had enough. I did graduate college. I majored in general ministry and I did get that degree eventually. But by my junior year of college, I was very sure I didn't want to work in a church at all. Oh. And I was and it wasn't because I wasn't a Christian at all. It was literally because I felt like church was for the people who are already at church. And I wasn't that excited about just serving people who were already had what they needed kind of spiritually. I wanted to work with people who needed more help. And so I kind of got more on the thread of general ministry is kind of an interesting degree because it's a lot of homiletics, which is basically just public speaking, but how to structure a three point sermon and use your uh, illustrations and things like that. Uh, so for public speaking, I did a bunch of stuff on counseling and like psychology, and I really liked that part of it. And then um, of course, like nonprofit business management. And interestingly enough, while I didn't want to graduate with that degree, it was the fastest path to finishing. I really actually am glad I went because that's all the same things that I've spent my whole career doing. So turns out God works everything together for the good of those who love them. I called God them because I don't like. Oh, well, no, I'm a big fan of like God being non-binary. So or having no gender. I think whatever. God not being anthropomorphized in- is my preference. Oh, I yeah. thought we were all made in God's image. Gender is a construct. So, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Whew. Part one of our testimonies and how little Lynn's Megan Sarai grew up in indoctrinated evangelicalism was a lot. Part two is coming up. But did you know we're on Patreon? This is our last episode of season one, and we're taking a little holiday break. But we've launched our Patreon, and we have a special gift for all you ghosties. <laughs> but it's going to cost you. <laughs> for December only, we are going to have a Founders Club. That means if you sign up in the month of December, you will be a patron who receives every single benefit. Not just benefits now, but every benefit that we create in the future. So when we do our special VIP summer camp event, you'll be the first to know about it. Be a part of the club at patreon.com backslash holy ghosting. So fast forward to now. Yeah. <laughs> we're at, where we're at talking about God being non-binary and such. Yeah. Where, where are you? How did you get from where we left off to where you are now? Yeah. So clearly we all had somewhat similar upbringings. There are some red threads there. Yeah. <laughs> The blood, of, the blood of Christ. <laughs> that was a red thread. Uh, also, keeping a tampon in too long. Oh! Unclean. Oh, not there. Also, um, the other thing that we all have in common is that we have all left evangelicalism. And I'm a little embarrassed to say how long it took me to officially leave. I was a slow burn, for sure. Once I got to college and beyond, it was very clear to me that I did not want to... I never wanted to work in ministry. I didn't want to be a missionary. I didn't want to, I sure as heck didn't want to be a pastor. And I think deep down, I always thought women could be pastors. I I mean, I always believed in myself that I could be whatever I wanted. I really did. Me too. And it was so weird. Yeah, I don't know why, because that was not messaging in my life. Firstborns. 
Yeah. He cared for Type younger a. people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's thanks, and like, Meg. My conservative Christian grandfather did always tell me that I that I could be president. Like he, mm-hmm. which is so funny because yeah, I know he's never voted for a woman. Like I know that, <laughs> but, but he would he would have voted for me. Yeah. I guess so. That's not sweet. if he knew my politics. I but, don't think um, my gramps would have voted for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who knows? Mine might have. I ended up in Portland, Oregon, super burnout on the uh, on the music industry. And I went to a nice, good, big, liberal Portland church or what I thought was. It was just like the cool church. And I liked what they did in the city. And it just was like, I went because it was what you were supposed to do. And there's enough things that they would do that would keep my interest. Or as I was growing and changing as a person and voting for Barack Obama and starting to like look back on my earlier years with like, what was wrong with you? <laughs> Um, and starting questions of these things. I started dating a guy who I eventually married and he was raised atheist and had converted to Christianity in high school, but was going through kind of a Greek Orthodox phase when I met him. And we did not agree on like what religion should look like in a relationship. And we both, there was some give and take. And I think, I don't think he pulled me away from church at all, but I think that like, he literally just it was just so interesting to meet someone who was a Christian who had only ever voted for Democrats. I just like, didn't know that they existed, that that was a thing. Yeah. I didn't know. They're mutually exclusive. Right. I did not know Christians. When you grow up listening to Rush Limbaugh in your pastor dad's car. Yeah, totally. So it was just interesting to be with someone who had same faith as me, but then also like, so having conversations with him certainly helped. And I had basically having a kid kind of forced me to mostly stop going to church. And my husband, just his heart was not it. He did not care. And with her sleeping schedule and stuff. And I just frankly wasn't that into the church that I was going to. And I couldn't tell you why, but I never got involved there. I never felt close with anyone there. And I remember rolling my eyes. And again, there wasn't anything I'd even hashed out or went to some doctrine, but like, I remember them preaching a sermon on like not having sex before marriage. And I was like, really? That's a thing we're still telling people like I had sex before marriage, you know, and it was like when my mom found out because I had an STD and almost got cancer and had to have like multiple biopsies. So I like had I swear like she was more upset at the fact that I've had sex than that. Like I might have cancer. What? Wow. And no. yeah, because in her worldview, it was like this hugely important, valuable thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And, and I don't, she maybe didn't realize it came off that way. It's just in that moment, the devastation was with, wait, you're not pure, you know? And I also know she was worried about the possible cancer thing and I didn't have cancer, thankfully. So yeah, the, it all just kind of slowly, my heart was not in it. As my kid got older, I felt like we needed to go somewhere. I wanted a spiritual community. And so my husband, we literally did some Googling. We made some ground rules as to what we wanted. And most importantly, we wanted to find an LGBTQ plus affirming community and some other things. We tried visiting one church. My husband real quickly was like, uh, I can't do worship music. I can't do it. So we ended up, we just Googled like, Gay affirming churches, Portland, Oregon. Was I think such a modern couple? (laughs) Just googling things to find a good church. Let's spiritually Google our way to our spiritual home. Yeah, I like it. Alas, and we ended up. Okay, I do have to ask though. Did you try the thing where you just close your eyes, 
put your fingers on the keys and then wherever God leads you. Yes. Mm, it's like speaking no. in tongues through your fingers. <laughs> you well, know? I already told you about how I felt about speaking in tongues. So no, oh, I did right. not. I just not. That's right. You were not, not as woo as I was. No. It's not how I rolled. Yeah. And my husband was like, I've heard good things about the Episcopal church, like down the street that it's just got a big old rainbow flag on the side of it. And I was like, great, let's try it. And we walked in and I happened to know the priest's husband went to church camp with me and I had had a crush on him when I was 15 years old. And but it was like, I know, super fun. <laughs> how but, many years later was this church camp crush to I mean, husband of the pastor? So many, 20 years. Is he still crushworthy is what I'd like to know, personally. <laughs> is that a weird thing to say about your priest's husband? Is that inappropriate? <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's an inappropriate question. You don't have to answer this at one. At any stage of Christianity. I'm going to just go ahead and do my own research and Google. Church. I like that for you. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to write a note. Google church. I plead the fifth. Yeah. <laughs> and so now, and now I am the senior warden of All Saints Episcopal. The senior warden. The senior you warden. You have to tell us what that means for us non-church people. So I have now attended this Episcopal. Oh, and mind you, Donald Trump was the nail in the coffin for evangelicalism for me. Mm-hmm. My heart hadn't been in a long time. I hadn't been going to church. And... Uh, yeah, uh, when I saw that statistic of like 81% of evangelicals voted for him, I was angrier than I've been at pretty much anything I've been at in my whole entire life. And I was like, burn it down. It is irredeemable. That is the moment where I was just like, there is nothing to be redeemed in that tradition. It is, it is bullshit. It is harmful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we had just barely started going to the Episcopal Church at that point. So I also think I was a little bit like, <laughs> you know, like, I, got I am not in that category. And then they, they sucked me in and because I they do a ton of work with houseless folks in our community. They have served a free hot meal every weekend for like 15 years. They set up during the pandemic a food pantry. They give out food two days a week. They 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 do a lot, which is wonderful. Um, and now I am the senior warden, as I mentioned, which is essentially Episcopal for head of the vestry, which is Episcopal for the board of elders. And, and the board of elders is like the controlling body, of the business the board of a yeah. business. We make yeah. all the budget decisions, hiring decisions, recommendations on any, I mean, all sorts of things. And so what, what does being the senior person on the board do? Do you like call it to order? Like, what's your um, role? I mean, I give a report at our vestry meetings and I'm just viewed as I literally get a key that goes to all. I get signing power on our checks. But mostly my role is I am to keep our priest accountable. It is my job to make sure that she is like staying with our mission and our vision. And we do a lot of the church visioning together, which is why I was overwhelmed at the idea of having a role like this. I run my own business and I'm super busy. But the thought of being able to, a, a church that's kind of changing, they brought in this newer, younger priest. Mm. They're like, they've opened a food pantry during the pandemic. They offer, they, they bring in a shower truck now that gives free showers to unhoused people. Like we're moving more and more in this direction. And so I want to have a say in that yeah. direction. And even though I worry, like I have not wanted to be in church leadership and it takes a pretty special church to bring me into that place. And I don't think that I would have went and sought out and 
I'm not an Episcopal because I'm like so down with the Episcopal doctrine. I do like it when I know of it, but I haven't, there's sometimes when I'm like, oh yeah, do Episcopals believe in hell? Because I don't think I believe in hell, do they? Like <laughs> I'm going there because the people that comprise this body of believers and the community is there and how lovely I think they are and how much I respect them. So yeah. It, and it sounds like they respect you and they respect your worldview and they're willing to take your talents that you're offering them, which if you don't know Lindsay in real life, you're an amazing human being. And being able to serve a community like you're doing is is truly what has inspired me to be like, do I go back towards a church? Do I go towards politics? Because I see the impact that you're making and that you're also being so true to who you are which is just, yeah, let's get some shit done. Let's help some people. And you can do it in the name of God or in the name of a church. But to me, it's about the community. It's about what you're building around you and how you're supporting literally the people that are your neighbors. I think it's beautiful. Oh, thank you, friend. I will never forget. There was something that I accomplished, like, I don't remember what it was, in the last like, year or two. And... Oh, I think I used the term as a God. I was like, this felt like a God thing. And that's not a thing that I say. I don't, <laughs> I try so hard to not say like use Christianese. Yeah. And I was like, this feels like a God thing. And Meg, I'll never forget. You're like, no, it's a you thing. You were like, <laughs> you, you're like, you did this. You did Lindsay. this. <laughs> that's to get your I did it for God, but I did this. Yeah. Okay. You did this. But you know what? We go back to that, like. I call it the Sunday school Christian faith that I still have, I think, deep down inside of me, which is just God made you exactly how he made you. And whether we think our anxiety is like a negative thing or not, I don't see it that way anymore. If I truly go back to that Sunday school, God loves me and he made me, like there is some purity in that and some empowerment in that. So I'm going to take it. So Meg, how's your walk? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, is there one set of footprints or two? You know? <laughs> yeah, it's a you thing that comes back to that question. So that's wow. true. What a mystery. <laughs> Either way, it's just you. <laughs> so when I went and found my own church, there were artists and musicians there. I wrote a few worship songs with some people. I found this really kind of quiet community that wasn't the loud, boisterous, charismatic place that I had grown up. It was a very dig into the history of the Bible. And, you know, we always had multiple highlighters so that we could take apart scripture and really dissect it down and, and understand it in a different way. And it was more about reading through a Bible than having a sermon taught where a pastor jumped around from verse to verse, like making up a story <laughs> that made you feel bad, I think. Um, yeah. That was the point usually. of mm -hmm. a sermon. Okay. So I really liked that. And I think it really suited just me. Again, weirdly, the more I know myself, kind of the more spiritual and closer I feel like I get to understanding whatever maybe this higher power is that's out here. So I loved that about it. Um, and then when my husband and I got married, we had an opportunity to move up to Oregon. There was a um, really small liberal arts university here. 
and we came up to visit some friends and he went in and observed one of the classes. And when he came back to where we were staying, he just told me like, this is where I want to be. This is the kind of place I want to be. They have dialogue and they ask questions and they're not reading a textbook. They're reading the original works. And I had never seen him be this excited about school before. And so I was like, great. Yeah. I had multiple reasons to leave California and it was a great excuse. And we wanted to see what we were like as a couple, like without, I think I specifically said, I want to know what it's like if your parents can't drop groceries off. Mm -hmm. And so we ended up going to the church that was associated with the school and I loved it. It was tradition, you know, it was hymns. They had a question and answer portion after somebody would teach and they didn't just have a pastor. They had like four or five different people. They were all white men. Um, but they would all teach and go back to the Greek. And I just found it so enriching. And I just fell in love with like the conversation of theology and history and human evolution. Not that kind, not <laughs> like the science-based evolution. Definitely not. Um, no, no, we can't. That's ridiculous. No, it we was, were monkeys. Come on. No, not that far back. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Seven literal Seven literal days. 6,000 years ago. Thank you, Ken Ham. So we had um, kind of this, I don't know, super nerdy group of people that we would hang out with. And my husband went for four years and I always say I, you know, I got like two years worth of this education. And then we um, had an opportunity to move to Portland. We didn't go find a new church right away. We're both introverts. We had like a two-year-old. We just weren't up for it, (laughs) I think, the challenge of it. We just kind of created our home and our family. We had a niece come and live with us for a year. Then we had another niece come and live with us for another year. And then we had another niece come (laughs) and live with us for another year. Um, We've had one of your nieces come live with us for a year. Sorry, you got to get on this train. (laughs) I didn't have any of Meg's nieces live with me <laughs> at all. But I did give one of them two cozy armchairs you for did. her apartment. So you I, did. I have participated in the child rearing yes, of your the nieces. Weber, the Weber <laughs> child rearing does not stop here. Five years away from any kind of church, I just started realizing it was like I didn't agree with a lot of things that I was hearing. I, too, had voted for Obama. It was my first Democratic vote. Same. I did vote for George W. W. Yep, he got yeah, me. In my first uh, first election. Awkward. <laughs> um, I remember I did not get to vote for him in the primary because I was registered as a Republican. And I think when we changed from registered Republican to registered Democrat, because I was like, well, I do not agree <laughs> with any of that. And so I think politics did have something to do with it. I think politics helped me to align what my actual worldview was and realized that I was not aligned with the Republican Party, which in turn, it made me not aligned with Christianity. And they really should not be. I mean, everyone says church and state and separation. And I'm like, what? When? Like when? Not when I was a kid. Reagan was like being taught from the pulpit 
when I was a kid. His super racist policies were like mm-hmm. Sunday morning, right next to scripture. Who among us hasn't received a voter, a Christian's voter's guide uh, on a Sunday at a church <laughs> and opened it to be like, yes, I should vote a straight Republican ticket. No problem. Copy that. How we did it. Yep. Mm -hmm. So I just started to realize it was a surprise to me, I think. And luckily, kind of like I mentioned before, my husband and I were on a similar journey. We were definitely not 100% aligned. We never are. We never will because we're two separate humans with separate opinions. (laughs) Just wanted to make that clear. But we've kind of gotten our way to a similar place. And... I think when I realized that I was very different thinking than other people that I knew that were still in the community, I realized I do not identify as a Christian. Not what it stands for in the American evangelical Christian culture way. Let me tell you how my walk is going. (laughs) I Um, would love that. I definitely have one set of footprints in the sand, Mm. and they're my footprints Mm -hmm. in the sand. And I'm going to try to sum up a 15-year-long deconstruction into just a few minutes. So I was in Christian college, as I mentioned. There we are, my sophomore year. I'm taking a business ethics course. I have a professor who I love, and I will name names. His name is Larry Anderson. And Larry. He's the best. One time I was in one of his classes, and it wasn't business ethics. It was a different one. And he made this hilarious joke. Someone asked who he's going to vote for in the presidential election. This was the year 2000. And he said, I don't really talk about that in class, but I will say my wife's a Republican, but I'm a Christian. And I didn't get it. And I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) And he's like, my wife's a Christian, but, or my wife's a Republican, but I'm a Christian. And I seriously didn't understand what he meant. I was like, they were synonymous. Or how are those different? Yeah. I literally didn't get the joke. And he fully had to explain it to me. I love this joke, by the way. <laughs> it's a great joke. And I it's I'm glad I think you everyone name should be using it. Yeah. I definitely have told Larry he was a complete linchpin in my life. Could we get that maybe on burned into a piece of wood mm-hmm. or something? Yeah, sure. With his name. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know what? Larry, the very first Sunday I was at Christian college. My mom drove me and the family's 1990 Plymouth Voyager halfway across the country to Kansas, the middle of nowhere in Kansas, and left on the morning before church after she had said she would stay. She didn't stay for church? Literally left right before church started. Wow. So I was all by myself in Kansas. My mom's walk with the Lord is solid as a rock, my friend. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Hardcore. I don't know. We don't talk about it because we can't talk about it. It's fine. She's fine. We're all fine. Everybody's fine. (laughs) (laughs) So I also need a detail. Larry was sitting right in front of me in church that first Sunday I was there and I was crying uncontrollably. Like I couldn't stop. I was by myself. I didn't know anybody. And Larry turned around and handed me a handkerchief. (gasps) Classy. And I have that handkerchief (gasps) to this day. Wow. In my sock drawer, because every time I see it, I'm like, oh, do I still need this? Because I'm also a ruthless purger. I don't keep anything. Wow. This is like the one thing I'm going to keep. So maybe we get like little handkerchiefs and just embroider it with 
My wife's a Christian or Republican. I keep saying it backwards. I love this idea. Thank you. Anyway, so that was the kind of guy Larry was. In business ethics, he assigned us a topic to do a report on. So we had to do like a presentation to the class and whatever. And his topic that he gave me was, is it ethical for the U.S. to act as the world's policeman? And I was like foregone conclusion. Of course it is. Duh. But then I had to do the research. We're like God's special ones. Well, like God's chosen. Yes. That's the role right. of this country. In Somehow the we're the Israelites, not the Destiny. Israelites. The Israelites aren't a thing unless it's an allegory for my personal relationship with Jesus <laughs> Or Christ. unless it's our weird foreign policy that is protect Israel at all costs. There's that. Well, too. we need to keep it ready for Armageddon because otherwise, right. how are we going to usher in the end times? God, this is important. The fact that our foreign policy is like based on it's literally based on it's Armageddon. Well. It's and well. I really fully you thought about talk that about that. Yeah, it's, yeah, um, we're it's gonna, true. We're going to get there. Wow, oh, America. Oh, bless our hearts. But okay. separation of church and state. <laughs> well, this is one of the unintended consequences of being homeschooled. Is that. While it was meant to be a wonderful opportunity to be more indoctrinated than my peers, it accidentally ended up being that I was so much older than my other siblings that by the age of 11, when my other siblings are starting to get into like kindergarten, first grade, I was basically given a list of things to read and like then to write a paper about it. And so it was kind of how college generally worked. So I was already pretty comfortable with research. I could do all that. What happened was then I come back to the class to present my findings and I don't know the answer if it's ethical or not, because my background and the beliefs I held told me it was ethical, but then I didn't understand the inconsistencies. And of course, this was the 90s. So I was looking at Bosnia and Kosovo as an example and Rwanda as an example and not understanding why we intervened in Bosnia and not Mm -hmm. in Rwanda. And my professor asked me, well, is it possible that our policy could be racist? And as a good nine-year strong Rush Limbaugh listener, I said, racism doesn't exist. Wow. Verbatim. Literally. (gasps) And he's like, what other answer can you think of? (gasps) And I couldn't think of one. And I was like, I I don't know. This time. 19, probably. Go. I mean, I'm seriously, I am printing up merch right now. Larry Anderson is the best. So then he goes, well, then doesn't that mean you ought to consider that it could be racism that influences that policy? And I said, I guess I do. And then I spent the next year reading through all of the gospels, using all of my exegesis skills how Meg was talking about all those highlighters. I was exegeting the hell out of those gospels. <laughs> yeah, if I don't say that word, it's one of my I can't say it words. I so. think it's a hilarious word. I spent a lot of time doing that on my own time, like just in my weird windowless dorm room or wherever I was. And over the course of two years, I accidentally found myself asking questions like, it looks like Jesus was really focused on the poor. So what are the Republican policies around poor people? Like, what do we do? And of course, this is the 90s. We're already in post-welfare queen territory. We're in like all welfare reform is going on. Like we've just got real shitty policies about poor people. Whoopsies. And then I'm wondering if we're supposed to vote for policies. It was also like the height of like LGBTQ phobia, totally anti-gay legislation going up and trying to say like, you can't 
be in a relationship even basically. It was wild stuff. I just had to ask myself then too, like what would the Bible say about this? And my answer isn't, oh, the Bible says like in two different places, kind of that it's bad to do this or something, but it really does say that at least my evangelical interpretation of what the Bible said is we're judged by the content of our hearts and what's in our hearts and how we relate to other people and to God. And none of that was about the things I grew up with, which was have the right theology and think the right things and say the right facts and be an apologist for these things. None of that fit into that framework. And this framework totally shattered everything else that I had kind of had poles in. And I did truly work out my own salvation in fear and trembling in this process. I was doing this around 2000, 2001. So I didn't vote in the 2000 election. The first time I got to vote in a presidential election was in 2004. I lived in California. And so in Oregon, not everyone knows this, but we have just mail-in ballots. So that's how you get your ballot. And that I was always registered as a Republican in Oregon. When I moved to California, California and I proudly went to my polling place yeah, and right. put in my vote for John Kerry and your 2016 Trump moment and the Obama moment. To me, I was in 2004, like if evangelicals are still voting for George W. Bush, I am out. Like this is not okay. Mm. And at the time I worked at a church, which I told you already, I didn't even want to do it. But since it was a terrible option that I didn't want, I did it because that's also how I used to interpret God's will was like, if I have to make a decision, probably I should choose the thing I don't really want to do because mm. that's harder. And that's probably what God wants for God's me. God's calling you into the, the hardship of I the ministry. I just need to suffer more. It's true. Yeah. And go to this stupid, horrible, abusive place and be a part of that horrible place. And what the hell? So I did that. And then I fully lost my mind. <laughs> and I moved back here in 2004. Five, and I never left again, even though I never intended to even live here again. But over that time, I mean, a bunch of other stuff happened with the churches I was involved with and the home church I grew up in. And there was a lot of unsettling things going on and people fighting and having problems with each other. And that really was a place where I also was seeing this idea of like a community and a family like you're saying, church was a family to you as a kid. It was to me too. And these people I'd known since I was literally a six-day-old baby are questioning my motives or agreeing with me over here. But the political side of it was really revealing to me, not feeling ever like I could have a place anymore in evangelicalism without feeling like I'm always just going to be the weirdo trying to get people to stop being so mean to gay people on the inside. Yeah. Like it was, it was really early on that that happened. It's interesting because I feel like I've known several people that felt like it was their mission to like change it from the inside. Yep. And it's sort of funny because I feel like I've never heard story of anyone doing a good job other than Larry. Larry. He was on the inside. I and agree. I was like, he He's did it. We do need some Larry. Larry gave us Sarai. Yeah. Aww. We really need Thanks, we need some of Thanks, those. Larry. So if you're out there, stick stick I with know it. I said burn it down and it can't be reformed, but maybe maybe try the smaller institutions and maybe Yeah. Start my small. Christian college was like 300 people. So it's literally small. Yeah. Probably yeah. not going to change your mega church from the inside out, but. Right. Uh, or a whole denomination necessarily, which I did right. come back. So I stopped going to church about seven years. I didn't really identify as a Christian, but I also didn't know at all what else I could do. I sort of stayed in the realm of Christianity, even with all of this opening and all this curiosity 
the binary that's implanted in your brain and the way that you think and the way that you act in the world and the kind of philosophical conundrums that come up inside of you are still oftentimes colored that way, even when you're free of that in some other places. So it was hard for me because like I said, my relationship with what I now call Godness, because I don't personify God, like God isn't a person to me. God is a power and that power is available to any and all of us. And I really do think that magic is real. And I really do think that our ability to channel things into being is real. Like humans have this incredible creative power and the ability to work together to increase that and like truly just transform everything if we want to. And if we can do that together I went to a funeral at my old church. The pastor at the church at the time, he called me and said, hey, my wife said God told me to ask you to come play piano this week because all of our musicians are out of town. And I was like, great, all right, cool. And then me and my ex-husband went and started playing music at the church. And then we were there and we were there for a few years. My oldest was four, I think when we left and my younger one was two. And when I say we left, I really was the one to leave. And when I left, it was a pretty big splash. I was the worship leader at the time and I was raped by somebody and that, sorry to just throw it out there like that. And that was questioned by my pastor really deeply. And he wanted to know more and more details about it so he could decide whether I was in the wrong or not. And the experience of not being believed and not being heard wasn't new to me. It was old to me. And part of what happened in this time was the experience of that acute moment, having my brain go, if he comes, he'll go. And me being like, that's quippy. And then me being like, oh shit, that's because I've thought of this a million different times with many different people. And I'm just in this room with a person who won't leave and that's what happened. It really was kind of my last moment there when they talked about it as needing to be restored back into leadership because something had happened to me that I didn't ask for. And in fact, had said I didn't want many times that evening. But it was really confusing and hard. And then I also was really happy that it happened at a time when I was very certain of myself as a person. I was very secure and come into my own that year. I had quit my long-term job I had forever that just felt like my whole life and my identity. And so I was in a bit of a streak toward like becoming myself. And the moment that this all happened was a perfect convergence of something happening to lance a wound I had had for so long and didn't know I was still carrying with me to go through this process of being questioned, of feeling like I'm living out the scarlet letter in some weird way. I was in San Diego at the beginning of Lent when this event happened. And then when I told my pastor about it, it was shortly after that, there was this whole period of time where he asked me not to come to church for a while. And I didn't for probably a month or 40 days or so. And mm -hmm. then I went on Palm Sunday. I was like, I'm going to go to church today. I know I'm not going to be playing music or being anywhere. And for one Sunday of all time ever, my pastor was running in open mic for testimonies. That was it. That was the sermon. And I was like, well, what are the chances? And I got up and I told my church family why I'd been gone and what had happened to me. Afterwards, many, many women in the room walked up and told me, of course, they had had the same kind of experience as many of us have. And I didn't ever go back. And that was the last day I was there. And it was 
a beautiful thing. And then the next week I went and got my power back in a very long and interesting story that I won't go into now, but I did find over the next several months and weeks that basically reclaiming all the parts of myself, the parts of myself that were unacceptable to the church, the parts of myself that were too big for whatever my mom wanted me to be or whatever women were supposed to be, the parts of myself that were not enough in some other way, the parts of myself that my ex-husband hated, the parts of myself that I hated, all of that. I went on a walk at Fall Creek, which is one of my very favorite places to go and just was by myself, barefoot, walking in the mud, marrying all the parts of myself back together and finding this sense of wholeness and true surging power in my body that I hadn't felt for so long. And I knew that something was shifting and changing for me. And that's when it was like April and it was super cold. I took off all my clothes and I jumped into Fall Creek and rebaptized myself into my own divinity. And that was at a time where I went under that water and it was like the Holy of Holies that had been erected in my own heart keeping me away from my own power, that godness sense that was never something that wasn't part of me, that always has been there and always has been so informative to my whole entire life, but had been covered up with, here's all the rules and these are the messages and these are the ways you can behave and these are the bad things about you and you're a sinner and you don't have to work for salvation, but you better fucking try hard though. So all of that just ripped away and I came back out of that water, a totally different person. And that's why I call myself a witch now. And like, there's a lot of different little magical things that I do and practice, but it's honestly a sense of re-believing in my own intuition and my own value in the world and constantly learning to remind myself that it's okay to be here. I'm not really coming at this from a place of being like, oh, you are idiots if you think this or you're bad or whatever, but really from a place of compassion and care. And it took me a long while to stop feeling obligated to like go back for the others. I don't need to do that. I think when people are ready, they find a path. And if I can be a help on that path to somebody who's like, I don't want this, but I don't want to not have something like, mm -hmm. and it's okay if you don't, I don't care if you believe in God or Godness or anything, it doesn't matter to me. I think we all get to choose a path that makes our lives better and helps us to become the amazing, glorious, completely boundless creatures that we really are. And that's one set of fucking footprints. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's what we're trying to do here is to help share our stories in ways that you know, maybe harmed us or, or felt like isolated experiences. And everyone who's been ostracized by the evangelical church community for your so-called sin, we don't agree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In all of the ways that we have been on our journeys as individuals, we are weirdly all in the same place. Yeah, there's not one right way to leave. And there, yeah. I think that obviously we're all proof that you can come at this and end up in very different places and be, I don't know how okay any of us might say that we are like, we are still very much on a journey. We have a lot of healing to do, but we've also done a lot of work and we have a lot of relearning to do. And that's the fact that we can talk about this stuff yeah. openly. I think is because we've done some of the work and we are far enough out of it to feel like, okay, we have deconstructed and some of us have deconverted. And I mean, I just want to say real quick, like mic drop moment over here. Yeah. I was like, you were going so strong and I so desperately wanted to react because I was just like, wait, wait. 
So there's an open mic, and you got up on that stage. Yeah. And you told your truth, like, holy fucking shit. And then you just, just dropped the mic I and felt walked like out. I actually think I made a weird noise at one point because I had been holding my breath <laughs> for so long listening to you. So that, and then I had already heard you tell the story about baptizing yourself in your own divinity and I've told that to several people I was like I'm gonna do a podcast with my friend Meg and then this lady who <laughs> jumped into a river yeah, I'm calling me a lady <laughs> <laughs> but just it's badass right it is just I was like I am fascinated by your story obviously ours are very different this was gonna be a tight 30 minutes that was like you know what I'm proud of us for doing it in this amount of time I think there's these things are lifetime oh, stories yeah, yeah. yeah. And I know there's going to be more. You can't rush deconstruction. That's right. <laughs> and it takes as long as it takes. It's never really over, right? It's, it's true. Really hard thing for my planner self to accept. Oh, totally. <laughs> this has been messy. This whole conversation is messy, but the whole process of working out your own salvation and fear and trembling right. literally is working messy. Out. And it has to be. And it has to be lifelong. Yeah. There is no end point, And that's something that. I was freed from when I left the church was, oh, this is a lifelong process. Like I am going to fuck up as a parent, as a citizen, as a white woman, I'm going to fuck up and it's okay because I want to be called out. I want to be asked and questioned and in a way that is to really help us all be better to those around us. And we... I think we've talked about this earlier and we'll get into this in episodes, but while we are victims of the evangelical church, we were also perpetrators. Like we participated in those systems, like the internalized misogyny and patriarchy that I have had to work through and still am working through. Like I know I have made poor choices and treated people poorly and there's no excuse for that. And I think that that's something we're going to work out as well. Like just because we're out of it doesn't mean we're saints. Like, we are sinners, y'all. <laughs> Except for me. I'm not a sinner. I've made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> With that, I think we might be me good. So that's us. We are Holy Ghosting. I'm Lindsay. I'm Meg. I'm Sarai. See you next time. And with the close of this episode, we have officially ended season one of Holy Ghosting. We are so excited for you to join us for season two, launching all new in January. We're taking a little holiday break and you'll see us again in the new year for an all new season. We already have amazing interviews and new subjects to talk about. Go to patreon.com backslash holy ghosting to support the podcast. Join us for high times with the most high. See and hear stuff that we won't post anywhere else. I promise it's going to be exclusive just for you there. And not only are you going to have special member only benefits, but you're going to help support the production of this show. So if you like what we're doing and you want us to keep going, come join the community, be a part of the club at patreon.com backslash holyghosting. Holy Ghosting is a same team media production. Music by Weep Bar. AP Weber produced the show. We'd like to give a special thanks to Meredith Hawley and Eris Conflict Resolution for consulting with us about our stories. If you have a story of abuse and you're worried about telling it publicly, they're available to help you tell your story in a way that keeps you safe. Find them at erisresolution.com. Thanks for joining us. 
And if you miss us in between shows, you can find us on socials posting almost every day at Holy Ghosting Pod, Instagram and TikTok. 